Welcome to the discussion, the new life cycle sustainment and training options for the DOD, sponsored by Vertex. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Ed Boyington. He's the president and chief executive officer of Vertex, and I'm Tom Temin. And Ed, let's talk about the, the industry itself, the training sustainment life cycle solution industry that you're part of. There's been some change there as driven by the change in government requirements, and that change has come to your company. Uh, tell us yes, what's sir. changed and, and why. Sure. No, I'd be happy to. Yes. Uh, as of the, the 6th of December, we actually closed on an opportunity with Raytheon as they carved out a piece of their business, or really their, their uh, sustainment and uh, modernization piece of the business, as well as their defense and commercial training piece of the business, uh, and, and made them part of Vertex. And as Vertex, we're Vertex Aerospace. We're now the, the Vertex company uh, to reflect the new capabilities we have beyond the aerospace. Uh, so we, it was a very opportune time for us. Uh, quite frankly, uh, we had been looking for a long time. We were pure play services business, CLS business. What, what I mean by that is aviation maintenance, training logistics piece of that, uh, primarily for the DOD uh, and some three-letter agencies. Uh, but for us, we're really looking for adjacency uh, and yet not too far afield in the defense industry. And it really came down to the other pieces of life cycle support and sustainment. Uh, the other elements of that, if you will, I think we talked at one time, the, if you really look at the elements of after you build something, there's about 12 elements. I won't go into those, but we were operating in about four of those elements. So having an opportunity now to pick up modernization, sustainment, the engineering piece of it, gives us nine of the 12 and those were the nine we really wanted to be able to bring to our customer you know a fully vertically integrated aftermarket support organization and, and solutions offering so this was a, a great opportunity for us and uh, as a result we talked earlier about you know where we see uh, our customers going and where the pressure points are for them in the future and this was a perfect fit for us well really when you talk about training talk about sustainment, talk about modernization, talk about engineering and re-engineering. It's really a continuum and they're not separate elements because you can't change a system without making sure people are trained on it and so on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, again, this, uh, if we, if we look at the organization of where we're set up now, um, we have the, the support of the training elements, such as the aircraft, we now have the capabilities and in uh, the contracts and the proven capabilities, if you will, both commercial, using commercial really as a, a technical flywheel of technology to incorporate now, bring in some of our DOD training as well. Uh, we have the capability to do that, to train on new systems. And now we also have the capability with a, through our Indianapolis organization to do a very high level engineering, rapid prototyping for DOD, uh, as we, we found in the past, when you have a legacy platform, you'll have rapidly changing threats and you've got to produce something, get, make it relevant, keep it relevant. And we have the capability there to take everything from initial concept through the engineering phase, build it there, uh, field it, test it, field it, and operate it, train to it, operate it in the field and retire it some, at some point. And, and modernize again. So that cycle that you just talked about, we now have all the pieces within our organization to support our customer and, and give them a solution in all of those different areas. 
Is it accurate to say that that whole cycle of needing the update, getting it prototyped, tested, built, et cetera, in production, training people on it, that's moving a lot faster, isn't it, these days? It is. It absolutely is. Uh, the technology is, in staying up with it, uh, that cycle is a lot tighter now than it used to be. And in acquiring these types of products and services, and it's kind of hard to separate the products and the services in many ways, because once you prototype something, maybe that's a service, but then if you need to buy 10,000 copies, that's a product. And so what are the vehicles, what are the buying methodologies that you feel best serve the government in getting effective use of its dollars in buying these complicated, complex systems? That's a complicated question uh, in many respects. And then the contracting vehicles, we operate primarily, we've operated always in the uh, and then normal O&M, the operational funding uh, within DOD, well, which would be the training and, and sustainment piece of it. The modernization engineering piece of it gets to be more on the acquisition side. Um, and the DOD has, has moved in many different areas now in their contracting really uh, to streamline and speed it up. And I know we've heard that for years and years and years, the streamlining the acquisition process. But there are, there are tools now, other transactional uh, authorities, OTAs, they call them different tools now that the government's using to try to, to maintain an acquisition process to, to be exactly what you mentioned a minute ago. That loop is tighter now. You've got to introduce that technology, get it in the field and be operating with it and training it. And you've got to do that in a, in a, you know, a much closer cycle now, a tighter cycle than you used to. And that means the acquisition process has to be there too. And there, a lot of the tools now, a lot of the uh, uh, indefinite quantity type uh, acquisitions, whether they, uh, do a competition, a multi-award type competitions uh, to neck down the, uh, the amount of time on awards once they award on task orders within that. So there is a, a, a real transformation, I think, within, within DOD and their acquisition process as well that we're seeing. And with respect to acquiring, you know, say, as an example, training services, what are the best metrics that the government should use to make sure that they ensure what they get? What should go into the requirements once they have an acquisition strategy? Uh, it depends. Uh, it, that's the, again, uh, if, you're, if you're using metrics for readiness, uh, you know, it's, uh, the, for instance, in the aircraft business, uh, in the training business, it's uh, aircraft ready for train. That's, that's a single metric they care about. Uh, all the other metrics that build up to that, uh, to provide that aircraft are important, but it's really that one metric. So, you know, if, I think from the, the services standpoint, if it's a, uh, if it's within the Army, uh, it's certainly the, a unit readiness, a level of readiness, uh, combat readiness, and they, they have their measurements there. So very complex, but, but there are single measurements, and it's really, when it all comes down to it, it's all about readiness. Readiness, being prepared to defend this country if we have to be in that position. And what kinds of signals do you get when you actually speak with the program managers, the officers, and so forth over these programs? What do they tell you beyond requirements and specifics of contracting, what their real concerns are? I guess that would be readiness also. It, it absolutely is. Uh, you know, it's, it's always, uh, we need it faster. Uh, we need it uh, more affordable, not necessarily cheaper, but more affordable. Uh, and then it's the, we, we've got to maintain this level of readiness. We can't slip into readiness. Um, you know, all of those are combined. I think the first two kind of feed the third one, the readiness levels out there. That's one of the things that uh, is very attractive about uh, this acquisition and where we are now, because we, 
we're, we like to say we're small enough to be agile and large enough to be global. And as a company right now, we're still in that sweet spot where we're not too big, too bureaucratic. Um, so we're, we can be very responsive to the customer, uh, very customer focused, not just customer focused, customer committed. Got it. And you do have a commercial side to the business. And we do. The commercial aerospace industry is, you know, nothing to sneeze at. And so to yeah. what degree is there crossover between needs, requirements, trends in commercial and in government? And can commercial learn from what's going on in government and vice versa? Um, commercial training right now for us, for the piece of the business we have currently, it's more uh, focused on the automotive side, uh, on telemedicine uh, and that, that training. Again, high consequence type training. Um, from the aerospace side, they really have not gone into that business. Certainly we're gonna look at it, the, the cross feeding of that. We're looking at it immediately, as I'd mentioned before on DOD on maintenance training and, and maintainers and whether they're working on an airplane on a, on a, a high quality vehicle, uh, the training is pretty much gonna be the same. So for us, we see that, that uh, immediate synergy, if you will, within our organization. Uh, but, but absolutely, I think there's more because of the speed uh, in the economy, uh, the economies of the commercial business, uh, they're more of a flywheel feeding the DOD uh, and the government side of training, certainly within our organization than vice versa. Although there's certainly some things to be learned from the defense side as well. But in essence, then the learnings and the investments made on commercial side kind of get it staged so that you can offer it in a competitive manner to the government side. Absolutely. We, we talk about our commercial side as our, our technology incubator, if you will, and the flywheel uh, of technology to feed uh, the defense side. All right. And uh, well, what else would you tell the federal customer at this point? That What do they need to know about where all of these trends are heading with respect to sure. the integration of training and prototyping and modernizing and sustaining? Well, you know, if I was going to tell our customers, and, and we do, and we are every day, is that, you know, uh, we as a company right now uh, realigned ourselves. Anybody can buy scale. We needed to have diversity and scale in our business offerings. Uh, but in our case, we were very particular about when and what we acquired uh, to really align with what the demands of the customer were in the future and to offer them a full suite of capabilities. So it really comes down to offering them solutions for problems and maybe identifying problems before they know they have them and solutions before they, before they uh, realize they need them. Uh, this, uh, this company uh, right now uh, for me is, it's an exciting time for us. I think we're perfectly uh, shaped, sized uh, to, to go forward and to maintain the quality we've had in this company, which is, is really our hallmark, but the high quality, affordable readiness that we're gonna provide for the customer going forward. So uh, exciting times for us. Uh, and for us, it's really, as we've always done, getting in there with the customer, listening to what they need, tailoring the solutions for what they need and providing a form. And now we can do that across the board from inception all the way through retirement of a system. All right, and is your integration with the acquisition coming along apace? It, it absolutely is. Uh, you know, there were a carve out. So that's always, those are always challenging, but we were a carve out from L3 year, several years ago. So uh, we know how to do this and it's going very well. We're very fortunate. 
Raytheon uh, trains people very well. We have some very highly skilled engineers, highly motivated, and uh, and we as a team are looking forward to the new year. And on that note, we'll take a short break. My guest today is Ed Boyington. He's the president and CEO of Vertex. I'm Tom Temin. This discussion is new life cycle sustainment and training options for the DOD, sponsored by Vertex here on Federal News Network. The Vertex company provides vertically integrated full life cycle sustainment for defense and commercial customers. With over 200 locations worldwide, Vertex offers turnkey aviation operations, worldwide contractor logistics support, systems engineering and integration, specialized on-site mission execution, high-consequence training programs, and integrated supply chain solutions. Over its 50-year history, Vertex has perfected the balance of cost, schedule, and performance. Learn more at vtxco.com. Welcome back to our discussion, new life cycle sustainment and training options for the DOD, sponsored by Vertex here on Federal News Network. My guest today is Ed Boyington. He's the president and CEO of Vertex. Ed, good to have you with us. Good to be with you, Tom. Thank you. And we're speaking at a time when the sustainment and the modernization needs of the military are pretty acute across all of their platforms as they transition to near-peer competition and all the rest of the doctrinal changes. And then that's always overlaid with the people required to operate and sustain and upgrade these various platforms. So what are the big trends you're seeing with respect to upgrading platforms, modernizing platforms, and also making sure the people are there to be able to do what's needed to operate and sustain them? Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, we're seeing across the board, I, I, I don't think it's unique to DOD, but it certainly is a challenge on the training side is just getting highly qualified people, particularly in the business we're in, where we've got the civilian workforce uh, doing contract logistics support and engineering and those kinds of things. That talent uh, challenge uh, is even more acute than it has been in the past. And you, you lump that in with the pressures, downward pressures on the budget that we're going to see over the years. Uh, and that always drives a need for taking some of the legacy platforms uh, and extending those platforms and upgrading those platforms to keep them relevant as we go forward. So in both cases, we're, we're certainly seeing uh, some downward pressure and some challenges. And it's probably fair to say that these systems are way more complex than perhaps the average cat realizes in one way, they're mechanically very difficult. I mean, just say the uh, the bomb release system on the bottom wing of an airplane, for example, lots of moving parts. But increasingly, these programs are being controlled by software. And so you have really hardware and software requirements that both have to be kept up to date and people trained on them. So how does that all interact? Yeah. You're exactly right. As a matter of fact, more and more of the software piece is the piece that it gives you the flexibility, but also the complexity uh, for, for upgrades. And that, that's a challenge as well. So for us, uh, it, certainly with the, the latest acquisition that we made, the, the piece of Raytheon that we just acquired, uh, we have the skill sets now uh, to really uh, engage on that. They, did, they have some great products there. Uh, and a lot of those products are upgrading legacy systems, either displays or the software itself. Uh, some federated, which means it doesn't go through some of the complex computers and allows you to upgrade without without having to do full qualifications. Uh, but but in general, uh, you're exactly right. The challenge is there. But even the radios today are more software uh, driven than they are hardware driven. 
Yeah. So maybe talk about some of the training requirements that you're seeing. Yeah. What are people demanding in terms of what are your customers demanding in terms of what they need to keep their people up to speed? Sure. Biggest challenges now, obviously, is uh, we've got an aging workforce across the board. That's no news to anybody. Uh, and with that, the exit of the, of the aging workforce and then the, the new people that we are attracting into the business, uh, much more uh, technology oriented in some respects. Uh, how you train those people, uh, how you close the gap between the, the legacy of some of the older people that are moving out of the, the business now and those young people that are coming in and keeping them engaged uh, and challenged. And at the same time, how do you have that, that knowledge transfer where you can really drive that knowledge transfer down and have somebody, a skilled artisan uh, at a much in a much shorter interval, if you will, as you go forward. So the biggest challenge, I think, across our customers out there now, and even internally for us, is you're going to have a limited amount of manpower, uh, probably more challenge than we've had in the past. And if you're going to have a limited amount of manpower, the last thing you want to do is have them tied up in training. So a lot of the, the legacy training classroom approaches to things, we had people in training for months to get to, to move up uh, in skill sets, uh, that's just not acceptable because that ties them up and gets them off task. So how do we do uh, a blend of classroom, virtual, uh, that kind of approach to compress the amount of time that the training is available or the training is, is uh, presented uh, and at the same time, make it quality training uh, and get people back on task again. So the shortage of manpower drives us to really compress the time that you're off task and training. And then how yes, do you, so how do you do that? You really need then you might put it as a increase in efficiency of training such that you get Absolutely the effects right. you want without too much That's input. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the technology we have today is, uh, you know, you've got a lot to draw from, but it's where do you most accurately apply that if you will. And because there's still a need for some classroom training, uh, there's, but there's also virtual, there's augmented reality, which we're seeing a lot of, particularly on our commercial side right now, uh, augmented reality. And then the, you, you're also going to have constructive training for that in the government side of the house for a lot of the war gaming and that sort of thing. That augmented reality, that's interesting because that would then, I guess, really change what it is you deliver in the classroom. It, it absolutely would. It absolutely would. Uh, examples that we have on the automotive side right now in our commercial training is uh, a young artisan can come in and we can, working at his, his workstation, we can use augmented reality through the goggles and allow them to take things. For instance, I was just looking the other day where we, he, could, he or she could go in and work on a battery for an electric car and take that battery apart using the wrenches on the workstation uh, and yet, you know, that battery really didn't exist, but, and you could blow it up. There were so many things you could do with it that you actually couldn't do, uh, if you were, if you were working in a classroom type environment directly. So, uh, pretty amazing technology, but it's how you apply that, uh, and a combination of those to give you the most effective training in the shortest period of time. That's the important thing for us. And I guess then that the training systems that you deliver must be constantly updated with feedback from the field. You mentioned the example of removing a battery in virtual reality space, uh, in, right. in augmented reality space. Suppose just to take that example, someone got to a real battery 
and said, you know what, this is a little different from what I saw in the augmented reality, because this nut is a quarter inch higher this way, and the whole thing is angled two degrees that way, then you can actually go back and improve the augmented reality so that it's closer to reality. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing, the, the technology is amazing, but like I said, there's a, there's a, a way to apply that and we're finding that uh, it, it's very tailored. It depends on the customer, uh, you know, in the defense and the aviation business, uh, those things that are high consequence uh, uh, training environments where, you know, labs depend on it uh, or high consequence in the, in the automotive industry where you're working on batteries now and those batteries uh, uh, can have consequences of their own from a safety standpoint when you're working on them as well. Certainly if somebody like me is working on it, I guarantee it'll be a problem. <laughs> sure. And you mentioned, you know, that, that idea of the generational change that's happening and the need to transfer information, but the newer generation also learns in a different way too, doesn't it? And so it may be more interactive, maybe more feedback. You know, years ago, you would teach someone how to take apart their M14 and put it back together. And it was my way or the highway. And when you can do it in five seconds, you're good to go. That's not how right. it works with uh, people today, though, is it? It does not. Absolutely right. Uh, the young men and women that are coming into the workforce now, whether it's on the uh, DOD side or whether it's on the commercial side, uh, they, you're, they're very astute as far as technology. Uh, that's what they look for. And, uh, and they, they pick it up very quickly. And uh, that's what's really encouraging, uh, quite frankly. It is, uh, from a learning standpoint, they almost expect, you know, the YouTube type uh, uh, approach to uh, learning in many respects. And I'm probably already showing my age by just using YouTube because we've moved well beyond that. But, but that's the way I look at it. I mean, I changed a bearing on the trailer the other day using my iPad and a YouTube. I'd never done one before. It worked great. Wheel's still on the trailer. So that, but you you hit it right on the head. The, the young people coming into the workforce today, if you're going to attract them, you, you've got to do it through technology and the challenge that that uh, that they're comfortable with, if if you will, and they're used to. And I imagine that also enables you to be more agile as a supplier, in the sense of you mentioned changing a bearing on your trailer, or you know, it's some say in your car engine. We used to have sure. shop manuals. And when that got out of date, you had to print a whole new shop manual, expensive, slow, cumbersome. People have to carry manuals into the hollows of tanks and different platforms. Whereas when it's virtual, not only is it wherever the person is with very lightweight needs, but it's also easily updated too, isn't it? It, it is. Absolutely is. And as you mentioned, the technology is getting cheaper and cheaper for goggles, goggle technology, or sometimes a single lens on a, on a pair of glasses uh, for data to be able to call that up. The other thing that's uh, somewhat evolutionary, maybe revolutionary, is the fact that if you've got somebody with a tremendous amount of experience, but there's only, only so many of them, you can centralize that and then have them on call, if you will, for multiple artisans that are out there in the field doing work where they've got questions and they're immediately available. Uh, and that's that's another uh, piece of the technology now that as we get better and better connectivity around the world uh, that's coming into play. Yeah, almost, a crowdsourcing, almost a crowdsourcing approach. That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I also wanted to ask you about the issue of uh, the difference in roles of people that apply to a certain platform. Let's take a, an airplane in the Air Force, for mm -hmm. example, or civilian Agencies have a lot of aircraft too. You've got your operators, the people that sit in the left seat and the right seat and operate it. 
And then they are accompanied by a team of maintainers. And both of them have to deal with the upgrades, the modernizing that's going on to many, many platforms on the ground and in air and in space for that matter too. And what are the differences in training of operators versus sustainers, maintainers? They're part of the same team, but they have very different functions. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, and, you know, first of all, uh, the part of our business, our legacy business was maintaining those aircraft uh, and helicopters, fixed wing uh, for training. And that, that's a big part of our legacy business and continues to be a big part of our business. And so a couple of challenges for us, one of them is in the maintainers, again, aging workforce, and how do we train the young men and women that are coming in, that are coming out of A&P schools and upgrade because in, in most of our cases, they're not uh, entry level. They, they have to have experience. So how do we get that experience on the front end of it? The On the pilot side for actually across the services, there's a, a real shortfall uh, in, uh, in pilots right now availability. And so that's a challenge for more readiness. They're accelerating that through a lot of investment in VR and simulators and what used to be expensive, uh, you know, uh, motion-based simulators now. They're finding that with the technology and the speed of the computers that they can move a lot of that to displays and again, the goggles and actually do a lot of that training at home before you actually get in the airplane so that it's when you when you're flying the airplane and it's more on task and it has to be done in the airplane as opposed to some of the housekeeping uh, activities. So that piece of it, there's a lot of investment there where I see the investment lagging a bit and where we're really focused right now is on the maintenance side, both for us continuing to produce high quality maintainers uh, in, the, in the field and make sure that we keep that pipeline going and we can support our customers the way they're accustomed to high quality work, uh, but not just for now, but in the future as we go forward. So uh, a lot of, lot of work in that area now as well, leveraging a lot of things that are available uh, from an operator, as you mentioned, you know, from pilots, uh, from weapon systems operators, a lot of that technology, but now flowing that down uh, to the maintainers as well. And by the way, the old simulators, the big mechanical monsters could produce some real sweat in someone in them oh, yeah. that, that took over. Can that also happen with the newer, lighter weight reality types of training? It, you know, it can up to a, a, yes, it can up to the motion based piece of it. But as you know, the, you, you get that uh, up the vertical motion or some of the lateral motion in a simulator, it will get your attention in a hurry. But, but I would say, uh, the vast majority, the 95%, you can sweat in a set of goggles just as easily as you can in a dome. Yep. <laughs> All right. So we know it's working. All right. Well, good note to end on. I want to thank today's guest. Ed Boyington is the president and chief executive officer at Vertex. Great to have you with us. Great to be with you. Thank you, Tom. And I'm Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Vertex. Thank you for listening to the discussion, The New Life Cycle Sustainment and Training Options for the DOD, sponsored by Vertex on Federal News Network. The Vertex company provides vertically integrated full life cycle sustainment for defense and commercial customers. With over 200 locations worldwide, Vertex offers turnkey aviation operations, worldwide contractor logistics support, systems engineering and integration, specialized on-site mission execution, high-consequence training programs, and integrated supply chain solutions. Over its 50-year history, Vertex has perfected the balance of cost, schedule, and performance. Learn more at vtxco.com. When we need help, we turn to government. 
When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. Federal News Network. Helping feds meet their mission.